the, the question that I wanted to start with tonight was, do we want to change the world? Because that's like kind of a cliche almost of, yeah, we'd love to change things, but people really have to decide whether they want the status quo or they really want to change things. And so we have a lot of things in our world that I think need changing, that I think we agree need changing. Um, you know, the incarceration rates are not what I would like them to be. I think that many people want that to change. I think that um, the sadness of the fact that we have a real problem with sex trafficking in our state, but also even in our county, in our city, uh, the fact that we still have children who grow up without being able to read, um, and education quality and education rates, uh, people who don't have access to health care. Um, th there's all sorts of problems that we still have. And I don't, I don't know if anybody heard United Way's report that came out in the last week or so about the, um, the state of the county, so to, so to speak. Um, there's something called an ALICE threshold. Uh, I'm forgetting their acronym, but it's something about is someone able to live beyond their week-to-week -week paycheck, like where they actually have a chance to save or think about retirement? or Because um, if you're on that week-to-week, -week, what might happen to you where suddenly you know, a medical expense or something comes up and suddenly everything starts spiraling? And so they, um, they looked at the 62,220 households in Jackson County. And any guess about how, how much percent of our households are living below that Alice threshold? Yeah, it was 42% uh, of the county. And then I don't have it from the report, but some pastors that I talked to said that when they heard the report, the city itself was somewhere over 50%. Um, where if you see two people, one of them is living under that kind of, uh, that level. And so I think that we want change we don't always know how that should look. Um, but every week we say the Lord's Prayer and we say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, but what does that kingdom look like? And so, in the words of Sister Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it? So, um, we've been talking about the uprising, like Jesus' revolution, turning the world upside down. And I think one of the most central things that we usually associate with that is Jesus' love commands. Uh, is Jesus, as, uh, you know, Jesus and God kind of as the model of love. And so I think that Jesus' love is not just a good feeling, but it is a world-changing kind of love. And so our text that I'm going to read is from Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 36. Which says, But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. 
If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, that passage comes from a text that um, the Matthew version of it is well known as Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew's version, Jesus goes up on a mountaintop, and he's like Elijah, and he brings the message of God back down to the people. And I don't think it's on accident that Luke gives a very strong descriptor of where this event takes place, and he says it's on a plain. There's nothing like the opposite of a mountain. It's a level ground. And instead of this kind of hierarchy image in, in Matthew, Luke is like leveling society, and everybody's looking at each other on the same level. And so Jesus is giving um, some blessings, teachings about prayer, and the ethical teaching that we just read. And so... The challenge is, if I were to ask if you think you're a loving person, most people are going to say yes, right? Like, who's going to say, no, I'm not a loving person? Uh, that's a rarity. But I think what's interesting is that, Matt, uh, that Luke here gives us an indicator test that makes it harder. Uh, and so Jesus is unimpressed in Luke by typical love. Um, it has that list there. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you think you're going to receive back, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. Um, there's easy forms of love, and that's not the life-changing, transformative, turn-the-world-upside-down kind of love. Uh, and so Jesus is calling us to something even more extravagant than that. And so... I think the first question that we have to answer is, who is our enemy? Because if that's the indicator test, am I even able to love my enemy? Well, who is that for me? We live in a strange era in which people answer that question in very different ways. I was looking at some research polls from last summer where people were answering the question to poll takers of who do you consider to be an enemy of, of of us as a people. And in one poll, 25% of respondents considered Russia as an enemy of the US. They're in the news. 25% of people said, okay, Russia's an enemy. 29% of people in a different poll said that the news media was an enemy of the people. Uh, these are very different kinds of angles and people's considerations of what an enemy is. And regardless of whether, whatever you take on that discussion point, uh, we're a very confused group of people who doesn't necessarily know who our enemies are. Uh, and I think that that's actually born out of being in a place of privilege. Like, when things are cushy and comfortable, you have to spend a lot harder time figuring out, wait, who exactly should I think of as my enemy? But Jesus' audience doesn't have to play that game. Um, in Israel, they're living under the Roman Empire that um, is taxing them as heavily as possible, that is, uh, can, can, uh, force them to carry their, their pack for an extra mile, or uh, all sorts of things that they can do to exploit them. But the biggest one, as we get closer to Good Friday and Easter, is if they don't uh, agree with you, they can humiliate you, embarrass you, shame you, and murder you on a cross. Uh, and so they lived in fear of an enemy and hoped for a day in which they could be liberated and free. 
And so to love your enemy meant something a lot stronger when you have a clear enemy in front of you. Um, and so I think some of our challenge with this text is actually to identify who do I really think uh, is my enemy or introspective enough to say, who am I accidentally an enemy to without realizing it? And so I can't help read this text without thinking about um, the civil rights movement uh, as kind of the moral par exemplar, like the, the most excellent example of how do you stand up to power but yet love and do no harm in the midst of trying to stand up to power. And so um, I'm, I'm not sure how many people are familiar with John Lewis. Um, he's currently a uh, representative of Georgia. Um, but he was one of the first people um, harmed on Bloody Sunday, which was uh, 54 years ago on March 7th, in which 600 people crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge in an attempt to begin a march from Selma to Montgomery when they, become vi and they became violently attacked uh, during their demonstration. And John Lewis was one of the first people hit and suffered a concussion and, and thought he was going to die on that bridge. And when asked, and, and, and reflecting on the civil rights movement, John Lewis wrote in a book saying, the civil rights movement above all was a work of love. You might not think that that's the starting place to think about the movement, but he said it was a work of love. Yet even 50 years later, it is rare to find anyone who would use the word love to describe what we did. And so an interviewer asked him, well, what kind of love are you talking about? Like, you know, to call the civil rights movement an act of love, what does that mean? And he said, well, I think in our culture, I think sometimes people are afraid to say, I love you. Maybe people tend to think something is emotional about it. Maybe it's a sign of weakness and we're not supposed to cry. We're supposed to be strong. But love is strong. Love is powerful. The movement created what, uh, he says, what I like to call a nonviolent revolution. It was love at its best, one of the highest forms of love that you beat me, you arrest me, you take me to jail, you almost kill me, but in spite of that, I'm still going to love you. And, you know, I'm humbled trying to think about what it is to actually live that message out, of trying to say, even if someone doesn't even consider me human on the same level, how do I still have love in the midst of such ugliness? And so I think um, when we ask, what does that love look like that changes the world? Here are some of the things that, that Jesus has to say in Luke. Um, one thing that's kind of an interesting fact in Luke, with only one exception, every time Luke talks about love, it's always a verb form. So love is doing things. It's not just an idea. And so Jesus starts out by saying, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Love wasn't just a feeling. It's an action. Do good to those who hate you. And that's not how the world usually works. Um, when, when people harm you, you want to harm them back. Um, you know that even when we fight ideological wars, we want to send tanks to them. That you want to out-hurt the other person to win. Um, but what is it to love someone, even those that hate you, and to do good to them? Jesus says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Some people want us to fail. They want your demise. 
they're that person that's looking for that chance to say, I told you so. Even, you know, when you disagree, you could say, well, I don't agree, but I hope that it works out for them. But some people are like, I can't wait to see when that fails. And that person that, that wants to curse you, wants to mock you, harm you, neglect you, how do you change the world? Not by repaying it with more evil, with more cursing, but with love. And it's not just a feeling, it's not just an action, it's also verbal. You speak it into the world. You speak words of blessing about your enemies, um, to those enemies, but also to God. It says pray for them. What is it to embody love so much that you even want to pray uh, and speak words of blessing and hope, even on your greatest enemy? Jesus goes on, if anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Now, I, I love Matthew's version of this a little bit more. Just put that out there. There's a couple of words difference. Matthew clarifies which cheek, which doesn't necessarily sound like it matters. But Matthew says, but if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Now, it could be, so this is the right cheek, it could be that this is a really weird rule about when left-handed people punch you. Because a left-handed person would hit you across your right cheek. This is talking about when someone uh, dismisses you and backhands you and treats you like you're not even worth punching. And he says, offer the other one and say, hey, punch me on, on, on the other cheek. Treat me like I'm an equal. And when someone comes and takes the, your cloak from you, um, show them what they are doing to you. Like, uh, the kind of language is uh, they take your outer cloak, give them even your, your, your underclothes, basically, in a sense of, like, show them the shame that you're causing. Like, you, you're taking everything off of my back. Uh, and so it's kind of resistance, but it's not with harm. It's with kind of public displays um, and yet loving. And so Jesus goes on, give to everyone who begs of you. If anyone takes away your goods, don't ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. In other words, love one another by treating each other with the same dignity, with the same respect, the same honor that you seek. Treat others as humans and not less than. So we, we tend to want to vilify and to call our enemies monsters. You see some awful killing on the news or something like that, and you say, what monster would do that? Um, and while it is an ugly, terrible act, we're letting them off the hook about that they're not a real person. They're just some monster, some vilified being. Um, and what is it to say you as a human need to respect the dignity of other humans uh, and call love into this um, dark spaces? John Lewis, who I mentioned earlier, was talking about the fact that during that civil rights movement, they trained everyone to look people in the eye, that even if they are harming you, look them in the eye so that they have to face the fact that a human is looking back at them. Even if you're treated like a dog, let them see the, the humanity that they are attacking. And so he, he kind of was talking about this when he said, we did go through the motion, the drama, of saying that if someone kicks you, spits on you, pulls you off the lunch counter stool, continue to make eye contact. Continue to give the impression that, yes, you may beat me, but I am human. Be friendly, try to smile, and just stay nonviolent. 
And then he explained that they were doing all these campaigns and there, wasn't, there weren't these big incidents in which people were retaliating. And that people would come to him and they would tell him, you know, I want to go do those sit-ins. I want to be in these demonstrations. I want to be on these marches, but I don't think I'm ready yet. I don't think I can look them in the eye. I don't think I can respond in love yet. And so some people uh, realized, quote, I may not be disciplined enough. Love that changes the world starts with a love that changes me. And so no matter how someone treats you, whether they treat you well or they treat you harmfully, uh, are we on that path towards where we can see everyone through the eyes of love? Not because we're going to get just take beatings for the sake of taking beatings, but to reject and resist those cycles of, of violence um, and try to create a new world. And so Jesus calls us to love like the Creator loves. He concludes this passage saying, Love your enemies, do good and lend. Expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. When we live out our, our, our calling, we live out a life of love, and that's when we most live out our Creator. We have something to offer to the world, uh, and it's not just the feeling of love, but actually walking love out into the world around us. And so if we want to change the world, it starts with us, and it starts with yearning for God's kingdom to be so visible amidst that chaos of life, that you would be willing to risk actually loving even, even our enemies. So uh, before we get into our reflection time, uh, I want to note that I've given a few quotes, and I'm going to end with a long quote um, because I feel humbled by like, people who would actually live out this love in the face of violence. And so I want to conclude with uh, a long quote from Martin Luther King Jr., um, who preached this uh, as a closing to a sermon during the Montgomery bus boycott uh, while he was a pastor at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Here's what he said. There is a little tree planted on a little hill, and on that tree hangs the most influential character that ever came in this world. But never feel that that tree is a meaningless drama that took place on the stages of history. Oh no, it is a telescope through which we look out into the long vista of eternity and see the love of God breaking forth into time. It is an eternal reminder to a power-drunk generation that love is the only way. It is an eternal reminder to a generation depending on nuclear and atomic energy, a generation depending on physical violence, that love is the only creative, redemptive, transformative power in the universe. So this morning, as I look into your eyes and into the eyes of all of my brothers in Alabama and all over uh, America and over the world, I say to you, I love you. I would rather die than hate you. And I'm foolish enough to believe that through the power of this love somewhere, men of the most recalcitrant bent will be transformed. And then we will be in God's kingdom we will be able to matriculate into the university of eternal life because we had the power to love our enemies, to bless those persons that cursed us, to even decide to be good to those persons who hated us, and we even prayed for those persons who despitefully used us. And he concludes saying, Oh God, help us in our lives and in all of our attitudes to work out this controlling force of love, this controlling power 
that can solve every problem that we confront in all areas. Oh, we talk about politics, we talk about the problems facing our atomic civilization. Grant that all men will come together and discover that as we solve the crisis and solve these problems, the international problems, the problems of atomic energy, the problems of nuclear energy, and yes, even the race problem, let us join together in a great fellowship of love and bow down at the feet of Jesus. Give us the strong determination. In the name and spirit of this Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen.